Hi, Pastor Mike Fabares here. In August 2024, you're invited to join me on a seven-day cruise to Alaska. Delve into God's Word while taking in the rugged beauty of the Alaskan coast. Visit focalpointministries.org slash Alaska. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares talks about the challenges of being a part of a church family. And he's looking at the experience of the Apostle Paul. Paul's going to join his new family here in Jerusalem, and that family is imperfect. They don't rightly understand the heart of the Apostle Paul. They don't know the truth about his conversion. They've heard it. They don't believe it. There's suspicion. There's doubt. And um, I'm just saying this about the church that you go to. Uh, it will not be perfect either. Christians strive each day to be more like Christ, but nobody's perfect. And as a result, churches are filled with imperfect people. Welcome to Focal Point. Today, Pastor Mike Fabares reminds us to expect some imperfection in the church, and he encourages us to step up and fix misunderstandings wherever we can. I'm Dave Drewy. We're continuing an in-depth look at Saul's conversion and finding out that Saul didn't exactly receive a warm welcome from his new church family. And now, Pastor Mike, with today's message. Well, I'm not sure if it's still a perennial childhood threat, but when I was a kid on a bad day, when your mom had made you mad, or your dad had made you mad, or your big brother had made you mad, you would threaten to run away. That's just, I mean, that's like just pulling the card right there. I'm just going to run away. That's what I'm going to do. Now, I, I knew several kids who contemplated it and occasionally threatened it, maybe one or two planned it, and just a few really just ardently resolved kids would actually do it. I mean, they would pack their backpack, they would head out the door, they'd march out and say, I'm done, I, I'm running away. But for most of those kids, it lasted about two hours, they were back. Maybe if they were really, really torqued, they, they'd be gone for, I don't know, maybe a night, they would spend the night at their friend's house and They'd realize that living in a cardboard box at the park down the street was probably not what they would want to do. It's uh, you know, not as good living under the underpass of the freeway. They, they intuitively recognize this, this isn't going to work out. And, and what they did is they got all of their family conflicts in perspective and their emotions calmed down. And they said, you know, whatever I'm going through right now, it's not worth trashing my family life and my home for this. They... They understood that. Now, I wish I could say the same for all of the Christians that I know. And I say that because just like children are designed to have a family and live in that family in a home, so it is that Christians are designed to have a congregation, to be in that congregation, and to live in that church. That really is what God has designed for every Christian. And sadly, sometimes it's eight-year-olds that seem to have the wisdom to realize, listen, this isn't going to work out for me. Yeah, I can get food at the cafeteria and put a few things in my backpack and probably make it through the night. And the grass down at the park, it's kind of comfy. Maybe I could sleep there. But they, they don't end up just doing it. They know intuitively, this is not good. This is a, a bad thing. It's going to tank my future. It's going to, it's going to cost me too dearly. And out of fear and out of concern, they say, I'm going to get over this and I'm going to go home. But in the church, there are plenty of people that get their feelings hurt, 
that engage in sibling, spiritual sibling conflict. They get frustrated and they pack up their emotional backpack and they march out of the church parking lot and they say, I'm done. And they run away. And far too many of them successfully do it. They stay away. They're done. And some even justify that, well, you know, kids, it's like kids, they grow up and the more they're mature and figure this out on their own, they'll kind of, you know, be 15, 16, 17, you won't see them much, and then they're gone. They don't realize that in scripture, it's just the opposite. Kids may be made for a family and a home, and then they get launched. Well, it's just the opposite in the spiritual family. As Christians, we are designed to be a part of a congregation in a church, and according to the Bible, uh, we need that all the more as we see the day approaching. I mean, this is something you never grow out of. And so your spiritual maturity does not give you license to say, well, I I feel like I'm ready now to venture out on my own and to to run away from my church. Uh, We need to understand how important the church is. And it's so good at the beginning of Saul of Tarsus's Christian life, who would be known as Paul the Apostle, that he recognized the importance of his church family. Matter of fact, he is heading back here as we pick up the story again in Acts chapter 9, and he's heading to what we would assume in his own mind would be his home church. He had spent a few years in Damascus and in the northern Arabian desert. He was, of course, I'm sure, rereading and restudying the scriptures from a Christological perspective in the Old Testament. He had cut his teeth in ministry in the synagogues of Damascus, and now he's coming back to Jerusalem. I mean, that's where he started. It had been a few years now, but he's coming back to get acquainted and to get integrated and to become a, to say it lightly, a highly committed participant in the church at Jerusalem. And that's where we pick up our story today. And I think what we can learn is that the church is essential, and Paul proves that even though it doesn't start well. As a matter of fact, I want us not to read this verse like so many do, beginning in verse 26, thinking, oh yeah, it's just a simple notation about what Paul does, it really is something that if you think about it, it's cause for conflict. I mean, you want to get your feelings bent out of shape? Live in the sandals of Paul when he's walking into what should be his home church, and you'd think they'd all be thrilled that they have the persecutor now turned preacher as a part of their congregation. That's not what happens. Now, in the end, it all works out, but I want you to see it. I'm going to read it for you. Follow along, please, if you haven't already gotten your Bibles open to Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 31. And I want you to see this turn of events as Paul is coming into Jerusalem. I'll read it from the English Standard Version for you when it says in verse 26, and when he, of course, Saul, now Paul, coming to be Paul, had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. All were afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. Now, thankfully, there is a guy there we've already met in the book of Acts named Barnabas. And he sees this, and he's in a position to help. And it says, but Barnabas, thankfully, even though they were afraid and they didn't believe him, Barnabas took him, that is Saul, brought him to the apostles, the leaders, the, 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 the pastors, if you will, of the church, and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Strong word. He was just fearlessly, courageously preaching. Verse 28, just one little word in our English text, but so, so, he went in and out. It worked, right? It gets ironed out. And, and it, it goes in and out among them at Jerusalem. 
And, and just like as a kid, you're moving from your base of operation at your home every day, every week, and you're going off to school and going off to your after-school job and all that. It's so it is with the church, right? We're going in and out, part of the church. All, everything's copacetic now with, with, his, with his church. And he was doing exactly what Barnabas said. He was preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Now, not just in Damascus, now he's down south in Jerusalem and Judea, and he's doing that. And he, he goes into these Greek-speaking Jewish synagogues, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists. And much like in Damascus, their head must have spun around. This is the guy that just a few years ago was going out in agreement with us to stamp out the people of the way, these disciples following Christ. And of course, they didn't like it. Matter of fact, how well did his disputations go? Middle of verse 29, they wanted to kill him. They were seeking to kill him. Church family, verse 30. And when the brothers learned this, here's his new church. They brought him down to Caesarea, right? That's the, the maritime coast there. And they sent him off to Tarsus, 300 miles away. Tarsus is where he went to school. It's where he hailed from, it, 10 miles inland in modern-day Turkey up there, if you know your geography, up the Mediterranean coast. And he goes there for a number of years, but he gets sent off. All of that for his own good, for his own protection, because he had a target on his back. He, he had a hit that was all contracted on him. Commentary from Luke on all of this, look at this. So the church throughout all Judea, that region down south, Galilee, that region up north, that place in between, Samaria, uh, they, were all, they all had peace and they were being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Look at that in verse 31 again. That's a good snapshot of something you'd say, wow, that feels good. That feels good to read that about the church at this point. All throughout Judea, Galilee, Samaria, they had peace. They were being built up. You old timers remember the word edification? Our translations used to use that word. That, that's the word here, often translated edification. Built up, like a house gets fortified and it's coming together and it's being constructed. It's looking good. It's, it's strong. Why? Well, in part, because they were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Spirit. It's like that Psalm 2 passage where you have that tension between, like you're, you're rejoicing, but you're trembling with fear as you serve Him. They wanted to stay on the path of God's will, and, and yet they were comforted. They knew they were right in the center of where God wanted them to be. And so what does God do in those healthy churches? multiplies. It's growing. People come into faith in Christ. We've seen that throughout the early chapters of Acts, and we'll see it in the rest of the book of Acts. Luke keeps stepping out and saying, look at it grow. Look at it grow. Look at all these people, thousands of people coming to faith and repentance in Christ, built up. That's a great picture in verse 31, but as I said, it didn't start so well for Paul as he tried to join the church. They weren't having the red carpet laid out for him because they had their arms crossed saying, I don't know, this guy killed uh, Stephen, or at least he stood there in agreement, holding the cloaks as they stoned him to death. We don't trust him. We don't believe him. It started with a church that was feeling and thinking and saying things to one another that was not in keeping with reality. I ask you the question, was he a disciple? And your answer is yes. Barnabas stepped up to prove it. He was an advocate, a, a mediator who made sure that they understood it. But at first, they did not say what was right. And Paul would learn immediately that his churchmates in Jerusalem, uh, they weren't omniscient. They didn't always know the truth, right? They didn't know the truth about his heart. They didn't know the truth about what was in his mind. They didn't know the truth about his motives. They didn't know the truth even about his conversion. So he's got a church right now which got people in it that don't affirm what he knows is true. And that had to be, I just want you to emotionally connect with that. That had to be disappointing. Now, I hate to ask you this question, but I wonder if your church has ever disappointed you. Have you, have you ever noticed that your churchmates are not omniscient? Sometimes you know they're wrong about their opinions. 
that they think things that you know that's, that's not right. They say things in your small group like, ah. They have misunderstandings even about you that you know, hmm, I, I can't believe they think that about me. Right? That's a good reminder for us as Paul integrates into his new church that um, the church is not perfect. And I think if we're going to look at the importance of the church in a passage like this, we ought to step back and just make that simple observation and affirm it as our affirmation and say, we just need to know this. Number one, if you're taking notes, real simply, we need to expect imperfection, right? Paul's going to join his new family here in Jerusalem, and that family is imperfect, as was reminded in the very first verse of this passage. They don't rightly understand the heart of the Apostle Paul. They don't know the truth about his conversion. They've heard it. They don't believe it. There's suspicion. There's doubt. And um, I'm just saying this about the church that you go to. Uh, it will not be perfect either. Uh, I know that we expect a lot from the church because as you compare it to your workplace and you compare it to the culture you live in and the headlines and the blogs that you read, you realize the church ought to be as close to the good as you can get. And it should be. And I'm all for that. I'm, the point did not read this way. Note this. I did not say expect to have a terrible church. That's not the way I worded the point, um, because this isn't a terrible church, but it does remind us it's not a perfect church, and it's filled with people that aren't perfect. They don't always agree with one another. Barnabas was proving that he did not agree with the, the prevailing opinion in the church, and of course, Paul did not agree with them, saying he wasn't a disciple. He was a disciple, so there's disagreement and imperfection because we are limited, finite, mortal people who don't know everything, and... Um, I'm not trying to say, like a lot of pastors like to stand up and air out dirty laundry and revel in their shame. I'm not trying to talk about that. I don't want us to sit here and say, yeah, church is awful, right? It's the bride of Christ. It's got some spots. It's got some wrinkles. We're trying to scrub those spots out, trying to iron those wrinkles out. We're always working to aim for that better, more Christ-like congregation. But I just got to say, because you're in it and I'm in it, it's going to be an imperfect place. You've heard that a lot, but I think it's good for us to remember that. I just want you to think of these two texts. Can you write this first one down? James chapter 3, verse 2. James chapter 3, verse 2. James 3, verse 2 says this. We all stumble in many ways. That's a good place to start right there. That's, just, that's the first part of verse 2, but let's just, let's just embed that in our minds. We all stumble in many ways. And at this point, you're going, oh, I know that. No, do you really know that? Do you know that, that James, who's writing this text, uses a first-person plural pronoun, we all stumble in many ways. And if you want proof of it, I just want you to think about your mouth, because that's what's setting up this whole section in James 3, if you know your Bible, about the tongue, the mouth, the things we say. He says, if we didn't make mistakes with our words, right, we'd be perfect, and of course we're not perfect. It's a passage about not being perfect and the problem of our mouth expressing that in so many ways. And we need to stand back and say, okay, yes, James, even James is, is not perfect. He's going to stumble. We all stumble in many ways. And you know, some of the things I'm sure that were whispered and said, and probably some of the things that were said in the presence of Paul or part of his entourage, some of the things that Barnabas was hearing, those were hurtful things. Feelings got hurt. Relationships got strained. And um, be good for... Paul to remember, and of course he does, and he states it clearly elsewhere in his writings, we're not perfect. We are all in process. And so in one sense, I've got to take my expectation and I've got to adjust it. This is not the princess bride, get used to disappointment. I'm not saying get used to disappointment. Matter of fact, I'm saying adjust your expectations so that you won't always be disappointed when someone in your small group hacks you off, when something you hear from the pastor makes you really angry 
When something that happens in your subcongregation is like, I can't believe they do that at that church. Just first of all, recognize this, that even if you're right, because Paul was right, and yet it was hurtful, you just need to remember we all stumble in many ways. And none of us are omniscient. And none of us are perfectly holy. And we're all in process. So just start with that. James chapter three, verse two. We all stumble in many ways. Here's the second one. Romans chapter 15, verse seven. Romans 15, seven. The next step, which is a much more active thing, that's just remembering that. We all stumble. Here's what Paul later says to the Romans. He says, you gotta welcome one another. That's a great word, isn't it? Because that's what Paul needed right now in, in the church at Jerusalem. Welcome one another, just as Christ welcomed you to the glory of God. I'm doing this with a sense, okay, for God's sake, for the glory of God, for the good of God, to make God look good, I need to welcome one another. I need to embrace, accept one another within the body of Christ, which are imperfect people, uh, as Christ accepted me. Here's a misunderstanding in the church. It's an understandable misunderstanding, but it's one that is because people don't know everything. And do you think Saul of Tarsus, who would become the Apostle Paul, would ever be in the same kind of situation where he is going to do something out of an ignorance that he probably should have known but didn't know? Well, of course. Matter of fact, you might remember that scene when he was standing there before the Sanhedrin and someone said, uh, hey, punch him in the mouth, smack him in the mouth. And so he gets hit, he gets slapped, he gets punched in the mouth, whatever it is, he gets somehow hit in the face. And he responds with a very curt retort, he says, about, you're going to be struck. You, you should be struck. You whitewashed wall. So he says, whoever told them to strike me, right? He calls them a name. Um, and then someone, you can see them leaning over and saying, to Paul, hey, that's the high priest. There are three Ananias in the book of Acts. That's the third one, right? Ananias, the high priest. And uh, Ananias here was just called a whitewashed wall, which doesn't mean much to you, but picture some, you know, derogatory statement about a hypocrite. He says that and when they tell him that, do you remember what Paul's response is, Sunday school grads? I did not know. I did not know that he was the high priest. And then he quotes scripture. I shouldn't speak evil against the rule of the people. He's still right, just like some people always say, I'm right to be suspicious of the guy that was holding the cloaks to kill Stephen. And yet they're ignorant. They don't know everything. And Paul would have that experience too. It's good for him to say, I'm going to even to think one layer deeper. I'm even going to welcome these people that aren't welcoming me because they're not omniscient, don't know everything. Because, you know, even in my life, as we see one scene there in his life, just an example of, I'm sure many, I've done things sometimes with a lack of full information. And sometimes, you know, I, I've done things I shouldn't. I've said things I shouldn't say. So there are things, as Ecclesiastes says, that you should not take to heart when you hear them. Because even you have said things you shouldn't have said that have been derogatory and painful to other people. So just we just need to recognize that we're in a church that's imperfect. And you're saying, Pastor Mike, you don't have to preach this long on this first point. I know that. Okay, can you just remember that when you are tempted to pack up your emotional backpack and storm out of the church and go, I'm not going to go to that church anymore? Let's just start there. I should have known going in. Right? The reality of how things are in a church as you interface with it and your life starts to overlap with the lives in the church and you have the real experience of interacting in that spiritual family, you're going to realize this. It's just gonna, there's going to be things that frustrate me and I can't change them. The people that are entrusted with my oversight are going to make decisions I don't agree with. There are going to be things that I'm going to struggle with. That's your church. As kids were designed for a home and a family, you were designed for a church and a congregation, and this is your home, I'm assuming, for most of you, and you need to say, 
I am recognizing that it will be, I'm expecting imperfection in this church. Great. Didn't say expect a terrible church, expect an imperfect church. Verse 27, thank God that in the church of Jerusalem, there was someone there to mitigate the misunderstanding and fix it. His name was Barnabas, right? Take a look at the passage afresh. Verse 27, but Barnabas, love that contrasting conjunction, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them, listen, I can testify to this, how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. You got to believe this guy's conversion. You should not be doubting. You should not be not believing. You should be believing him. I saw it. You, you guys, you need to believe it. Now, I just know that Barnabas was probably not the, the pulpit pounder, right? He, he's, I can see him in a gracious way appealing to these people as an advocate for the Apostle Paul. He fixes this misunderstanding. By the way, the kind of church you probably won't want to run away from is a kind of church that has Barnabases in it who are ready to fix misunderstandings. And by the way, there are Barnabases in this congregation that haven't stepped up to do some Barnabas stuff this week, this month, this year, and you need to. You need to do, number two, you need to fix misunderstandings. If you're taking notes, jot that down and fix them. You see a misunderstanding, and I got two different opinions here, and we need to fix them. I know we looked at this back when we met Barnabas and that phrase, son of encouragement, Right, which didn't mean his dad was encouragement. It means that like a chip off the old block. He's like the embodiment of encouragement. And that word, parakaleo, which is only fun to talk about Greek words when you have compound words with prepositions attached in the compound. And, and para, kaleo, we talk about parakaleo. It's used in a variety of ways in the New Testament, but it's a great picture, as I like to say, and you've heard me preach on this many times, it's like a, a knee brace. It comes in alongside a para is next to, right? called in next to. Kaleo is called in. So to be called in alongside, it, it helps. It does a lot of things. It, it supports. It fixes. It's the same word that we're going we're gonna to see in verse 31, to comfort. Things come along like your blanket comes around you and it comforts you. A knee brace will support you. Here's this tenuous situation between the church, this new church of Paul and Paul, and he comes in and he fixes, he helps it. We meet Barnabas, do we not, in the beginning of Acts here, who is seeing a need in the church and he's willing to sacrifice to give the proceeds of property. He's gonna sell and liquidate his asset to come now and to bring money to meet the needs in the church. This is a guy who's helpful. You want more Barnabases in your church. Generous, sacrificial, I wanna fix problems. If there's a misunderstanding, I'd like to step in and see if we can solve this. So we need to have fixers in the church. And I hope that all of us, in one way or another, we see that role, the onus, the responsibility upon us to say we need to be fixed. You're listening to Focal Point with pastor and Bible teacher Mike Fabares and a message titled, Saul, A New Family. To listen to the full-length version of this message and this series, please visit our website, focalpointradio.org. Well, today's message was a good reminder for those of us in the church, and while we're striving to be more like Christ, we aren't perfect. And we hope these programs are a daily encouragement for you, as Pastor Mike opens up the Bible and faithfully presents the whole truth about who we are, about what's happening in the church, and most importantly, about God. And we invite you to help us share these Bible messages with more and more people across the country and around the world by sending in a generous donation to support Focal Point. You can give today by calling 888-320-5885 or give online at focalpointradio.org. 
And when you give, we'll send you an excellent book titled Men Who Met God, 12 Life-Changing Encounters, written by beloved pastor A.W. Tozer. So request your copy of Men Who Met God when you give generously to Focal Point by calling 888-320-5885 or make your gift online at focalpointradio.org. And if you've never contacted us before, please get in touch and we'll gladly send you a helpful pamphlet called The Twelve Disciples. These were 12 regular men whose lives were changed when they accepted the invitation to follow Jesus. Find out more when you call 888-320-5885 or contact us online at focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you back again tomorrow when Pastor Mike continues his message called Saul, A New Family. That's coming up Thursday, right here on Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. Ever wish you could corner your pastor and challenge him with your toughest questions about the Bible, about faith? Well, now you can. Send me your questions. Head on over to focalpointradio.org and click on Ask Pastor Mike. Or send me a note on facebook.com slash Pastor Mike or twitter.com slash Pastor Mike. I can't wait to hear from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.